Welcome to the Inside Zone Podcast. Welcome to the Inside Zone Podcast. People, we made it. We survived the 2017-18 season. We survived Nathan Peterman quarterbacking, Hugh Jackson coaching, end arounds to tight ends, even Jerry Jones appropriating NFL protests. We've made it to the 2018 Super Bowl and we're your podcast for our big preview extravaganza. And I say extravaganza and normally I'd say, actually, this is pretty poor because, you know, we're British, that's what we do. But not this week, no. Joining myself and Inside Zone Millennial Pipsqueak in Chief Tom White, we've got two experts and... I, <laughs> I thought you'd like that, Tom. Um, and not only are they experts, they are um, live, directly beamed in from, among other places, but the Locked On Patriots and Locked On Eagles podcasts. That's right, we've got both sides represented here, Mark Schofield and Michael Kist. Hi, guys. Are you ready to do battle to the death for the honour of your chosen teams? I mean, Tom did tell you that that was compulsory for being on the pod, right? Actually, let me just say at the outset here, this was an incredible job by both Nick and Tom to get us on here because I come on and I'm like, wait a second, I recognize that phone number. And then it clicks in my head that, oh, wait, you guys have Kissed on as well. And I had no idea that that was going to happen. And I need to check with my PR people because they're just not doing a good enough job getting you know this stuff set up for me. But gentlemen, pleasure to be both of you, with both of you, Nick and Tom and Michael. Fine, I guess I'll talk to you too. Surprise, Mark. I'm following you everywhere, man. I'm in your head. I'm every I'm everywhere. <laughs> you can't get rid of me. No, I can't. I'm gonna have like nightmares about you tonight. <laughs> <laughs> How are you guys doing? Uh, we're all pretty good, I think, over here. Um obviously time zone difference. We're it's obviously late here. We're all really tired. You guys should be fresh faced, so we're expecting <laughs> incisive commentary from you. That means Tom's kinda left off the hook this let off the hook this week, which is such a relief for him. Um <laughs> Obviously, the main part of today's show is the Super Bowl preview. Um, but for those of you maybe heartbroken Minnesota or Jacksonville fans, or anyone who is like had a terrible season, Cleveland, whatever, um, who just can't face it, um, Mark and Michael both spent time last week at the Senior Bowl. And though draft season's away off, I'll be asking them about it a little later um, because it's interesting and you should be interested. But um, putting that to one side, to the main event, Super Bowl 52. It's huge. That's obvious. It's a game, as they always are, jam-packed full of intrigue and storylines. And I want to kind of start um, just asking for sort of one kind of take from you. If you could pick one sort of battle, and this could be anything from sort of man-on-man or mind-on-mind to massive whole unit, whatever, versus other whole unit, um, one battle where this game is going to be won or it's going to decide the game, what would it be? And um, Mark, why don't you go first? That's a great question, and there are a number of those that you can choose from. I mean, from sort of the the macro level, excuse me, down to the micro. And, you know, I'll highlight one that has me concerned from a Patriots perspective, and that's when the Eagles on defense, when they get their opposing offense into sort of third and long, they love this speed rush package that they can use up front where they kick Brandon Graham down inside. They bring on Chris Lawn or sometimes Derek Barnett as an extra edge rusher. So they basically use three edge rushers, but with Graham more in the interior. I'm very concerned from the standpoint when, if that situation arises, the potential matchup of a Brandon Graham against Joe Thune, the left guard for the New England Patriots, who at times has struggled in pass protection schemes. 
if that's a matchup that plays out a lot on Sunday night. One, it means the Patriots are in a lot of third and longs. And two, it's a chance for the Eagles to get pressure with four in the interior against Tom Brady, which usually gives him trouble. So that's something that I'm watching. If there are a lot of third and longs, can Joe Thuny sort of hold his ground against the Brandon Graham, or does Graham get the better of him? So that's something that I'm watching for on Sunday night. I mean, Brandon Graham's a really interesting player. He's sort of one of these... um darlings of pro football focus who give him incredibly sort of high grades and we know about their grading procedure it's not transparent and it's flawed but it's generally quite a good indication that he does seem to be this incredibly underrated player nine and a half sacks i think this year which is his um career record um do you think he could be a real a really good bet for kind of a a breakout super bowl performance I think so. And, you know, just think back to last year before the comeback from New England, you had a good argument that Grady Jarrett was probably your Super Bowl MVP. He had, I think, two, maybe two and a half sacks in that game before the comeback from New England. He was pressuring Tom Brady a lot, was in his face a lot. So, again, you could have made the case that, you know, Grady Jarrett, a defensive player getting pressure on Brady, was your MVP. So if there's a similar type of performance from a Brandon Graham, I think that's a good case for a sort of unsung hero MVP type. And um, sort of think, thinking about you, say you're worried about um, Joe Thune and Z's. Do you think that um, what can the Patriots do, I guess, to kind of counter that? Because you, there's no way that you would convince me that Belichick isn't aware of this as a potential risk because he is omniscient, as far as I can tell. Right. And I think the way you sort of counteract that is you don't get in third and long. And something to watch when the Patriots have the football is, does Jim Schwartz stick with his tried and true method of playing off coverage with his corners? He likes to play off coverage, give pre-snap cushion, give you those five, those six-yard routes, hitches, flat routes, quick out routes, slant routes, and trusts his guys to make tackles after the catch and prevent yardage after the catch. But if they're going to give New England that, if New England keeps taking that, that keeps them on, you know, second and five, third and one type situations. Schwartz's whole philosophy is I'm going to make you execute a 15 play drive to get down the field and score. And I think New England's going to be willing to take stuff like that because that's the way they approach things offensively. They're willing to take what a defense gives them. So I think that's the best way to counteract that. Don't get into third and long. Don't put yourself in that position. Cool. So um, more dump offs, maybe um, short passes to running backs. That's anything. Yeah, I, I think that's going to be a big part of their game plan, getting the ball out of Brady's hands quickly, getting you know making sure that Tom Brady stays upright, not subjecting him to hits throughout the game because I always use the boxer analogy, hits early, impact quarterbacks late in games. It's like body blows in the early rounds. And so they're going to want to get the ball out of Brady's hands quickly. It's been a staple of what they've done offensively for years, and I don't expect that to change on Sunday night. So that's quite an interesting one to look out for. Um, moving it round, um, Michael, um, what would you say is one battle where the game's going to be decided? Yeah, I'll keep it on the defensive side of the ball for the Eagles. I'll put it like this. The Patriots 1,000% should be operating in the no huddle for a healthy portion of this game. I could get into a bunch of nerdy stats about success rates and all that, but trust me when I say statistically no team is more impacted by the opposing offense running no huddle than the Eagles. Uh, also, it's something that the Patriots do very well. They've begun to use, utilize it more frequently in the postseason. This allows you to dictate the matchups that you like. So if the Eagles look a little light, maybe they're a nickel and the Patriots have a heavier personnel grouping like 12, uh, where you got two tight ends and one running back. And they, and they run that more than any other uh, grouping. Like, for instance, the league average for 12 and 13 personnel is 7%. 
The Patriots run it at 25%, right? And we know they're going to struggle to try to run against the Eagles, but that would be an opportunity for them to find success. Uh, also, the no huddle is going to force the defense into giving more bland, vanilla looks in coverage. It slows down the pass rush, something that Brady can then begin to pick apart. Speaking of the pass rush, expect to see a lot of early down passes to the running backs from the Patriots. It's a tactic that the Eagles struggle against, and it has been efficient and an effective method for the Patriots to compensate for a not-so-great offensive line and running game. And you can look back to last year's Super Bowl for proof, where James White led the team with 16 targets and 14 receptions. That's a major counter to the pass rush that Jim Schwartz will have to adjust to uh, to then in turn get the pass rush going again. But back to my original point, if there's one key factor for me offensively for the Patriots that would lead to success for them, it's the up-tempo stuff. And this is why I think even if the Eagles go up early, I mean, we've all seen that movie before, so you see what I'm driving at. I think it's a close game no matter what, uh, no matter the early success for either team. Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting you sort of talk about um, the no I, I was going to start talking about that a little later. Um, but, I mean, when I look at that Philadelphia D-line, I look at sort of any randomized combination of sort of those seven linemen, you know, Cox, Jernigan, Allen, Graham, Curry, Long, Barnett is sort of either elite or nearly elite, but it is a unit that lives and dies by its ability to rotate. And you saw, I'm more aware of the Patriots being this incredible team with a no huddle, incredible at firing off quickly, boom, four four plays and grabbing 50 yards in not much more than a minute. And that for me is what would worry me for how Philadelphia can cope with just the potential that perhaps have to do that at almost any point um, by just, they're just weakening this kind of unit that's right. used to rotating where um so much more I, I don't know if i i've misread that but that's certainly well, how another thing you're going to see from them too and and this kind of goes with the up-tempo stuff uh the eagles haven't seen a lot of 21 personnel we have two running backs one tight end right and the the patriots use that uh, uh high as well more than a lot of other teams this is a bit of an unknown for the eagles defense as far as how they're able to defend it they haven't seen it much could be a bit of a wild card especially if the patriots utilize this grouping to pass to running backs and mitigate the pass rush of the eagles as well if they get the eagles in base and they're in 21 personnel where the eagles have three linebackers and they can get one of those running backs on uh, danelle ellerby uh, who is usually only in for rundowns uh, that's a big win for them and not only that, tackling in the secondary for the Eagles has been a bit of a, a bugaboo for them as well. So that, that'll be interesting to see early on how they how they want to utilize that. Sounds potentially like James White could have gone be a, having a run at that Correct. MVP vote. He could have won last year that didn't. Um, Tom, where, where are you looking for one battle in this game? Well, I, I was going to go for Danny playoff Amendola, but seeing as we've everyone so far has gone for the uh, Patriots offense versus the Eagles defense, I might try and flip it here and go for Nelson Aguilar as my X factor. So the Patriots, you know, the defense has found a bit of juice the past two months. Can Nelson Aguilar exploit whoever they line up against him? Because Gilmore and Butler, you know, they'll likely be covering. Jeffrey has been money so far so far down the stretch for the Eagles. They'll probably be trying to target Torrey Smith as well. But then Belichick, he, he takes away what you do best. So we know that now... Uh, <laughs> We know that Jeffries has been unbelievable so far. We know that the run game is very good and they've got excellent run blockers in the defensive line. So they'll probably leave an extra safety in there to try and account for Ajayi and, and Blunt on running the ball. So, you know, if they can get Nelson Aguilar going and try and dare Nick Foles to try and beat them, then I, I think he could definitely be an X factor in, in this game in the Super Bowl. Um, I, 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 sus- I suspect if they put an extra safety, that'll probably be Duran Harmon, who I think's played about two thirds of snaps this year, who is, um, there was a start, 
I think again, and and I reference peripheral focus far more than I should. Um, but he was targeted. PFF had him targeted nine times this season as a primary defender, and he picked oh. off four of them. Yeah, that's a, oh. that's a terrifying start. Well, I mean, if you want to go, oh. if you want to throw stats out, I mean, Nelson Aguilar was targeted thirty times on third down. And he, he had the best mark amongst wide receivers with 134.7 passer rating when, when targeted on third down. So like Amendola for the Patriots is, is their third down guy, Amon, Nelson Aguilar seemed to be the guy for Philadelphia who's got it done this year when teams have been rolling coverages towards Alshon Jeffrey. Seems absolutely crazy that here we are talking about Nelson Aguilar after yeah. his uh, 2016 season potentially being um, potentially being an exact. He didn't actually, um, I didn't actually have a lot of, a huge number of drops recorded last year, which is kind of, it, he he seemed to have, and it, as far as I could tell, looking at this, it's that he didn't actually get even close enough to be able to drop the ball on <laughs> um, quite a lot of his occasions. Um, so, I mean, looking at sort of this, um, look, looking at the sort, I mean, obviously we're, we're focusing on the Philly defense versus the Pats oh, a lot. Um, Tom sort of mentioned Nelson Aguilar. I mean, what else? Flipping it round. Um, I don't know, Mark or Mike, you guys can fight over who gets to answer this one first. What else can Philadelphia do on O to kind of keep throwing the Pats off balance throughout the game, I guess? Well, what's going to help Foles in, is the run game. Uh, sorry, Mark, I didn't mean to cut you off, but uh, <laughs> I, I think I, we're, not, we're not the favorite, so you got to give me something here. Uh, here here's some <laughs> analysis you're not going to get from the big media talking heads. Against 11 personnel, so running back, one tight end, which the Eagles use very frequently, and operating out of a shotgun, which the Eagles do as well, the Patriots allow 6.6 yards per carry. Make no mistake, allowing 6.6 yards per carry against any personnel grouping is atrocious. This is this is only magnified when you consider the fact that Jay Ajayi takes around 70% of his runs, for, runs from 11 personnel, and he does that in shotgun 70% of the time. He's been extremely effective from that setup. I want tw- 20 runs from Ajayi, 15 to 18 of them coming from the shotgun with one tight end, spread them out, don't allow the Patriots to get in their base 4-3 even front and drop Chung into the box. Spread them out. Run your offense. This is simple stuff for the Eagles, in my opinion. You just have to run what you've ran all year, and the results will come. So expect to see a Ajayi from the shotgun, blunt from under center. But overall, expect the Eagles to be in shotgun 70% of the time. And from there, they're the third heaviest run-leaning team in the NFL. And I know I'm beating this point to death, but this is how the Eagles move the ball and set foals up in plus situations and convert on second down before you have to get it to third down situations and look i'm not saying take the ball out of Foles' hands if he get what's if he gets what he wants pre-snap and the box numbers indicate mm-hmm. to him that he should pass then pass but you've got to take advantage by pounding the rock when the numbers are there beat this team up and make sure you take care of the fumble the eagles cannot afford that it's it's been a problem for them all year and one last point the eagles continue uh, the, the eagles the frequency in which they throw to their running backs has taken an uptick on early down since Foles has taken over, and especially with the Jai, because it's something that the Patriots really struggle to defend as well, and it won't allow the Patriots to key run whenever a Jai is in the game. When you started talking about throwing to running backs there, I got momentarily excited that we were about to have our first Corey Clements on. I think we'll pass over that now. Um, Mark, then throwing that back, can the Pats stop the run. You know, something that I've been kicking around in, say, the past, I'd say, you know, six to eight hours 
it is something that you know clicked in my head listening to something that I know Michael Kiss is going to do over at Locked On Eagles in the next day or so, or maybe it's already up. And that's this. I think back to Super Bowl 25, and Bill Belichick, then the defensive coordinator for the New York Giants, came together with a game plan to slow down Jim Kelly and that K-gun offense. And the game plan was this. He was in charge of a defense that prided itself on stopping the run. And that game plan... Their entire goal was to let Thurman Thomas run because if he ran the ball, it meant that Jim Kelly wasn't thrown downfield. They weren't getting chunk plays downfield. They weren't hitting deep shots to Andre Reed and James Lofton. So there's this idea that's been floating around in the back of my head that I wonder if Belichick takes a similar approach. If you want to run the ball, fine. Because what really scares me as an observer of this game and as somebody that's watching this with a, through a Patriots fan lens in a way are those chunk plays. Those chunk plays where Nick Foles hits a big shot to Jim, you know Nelson Al, Alshon Jeffrey, excuse me, or hits a big shot to Torrey Smith, and instead of having to work the ball down the field and make Nick throw, Foles make a bunch of throws or make the Eagles make a bunch of plays on offense, they're picking up 35, 40, 45 yards of pop. So there's a part of me if you know wonders if New England comes out in three, three, five like they did in the second half against the Jacksonville Jaguars when they were having some trouble with RPO stuff, or if they even go three, two, six. Or even 406, 407, excuse me, which they've done at times. I mean, one of the biggest plays of New England's season was a third and four against the Steelers. When you're thinking in the fourth quarter, the Steelers might run the ball with Le'Veon Bell to ice that game away. What does New England do? They come out in four down linemen and seven defensive backs and basically say, we'll let you run it. We're going to make sure we stop the pass. And what do they do? Cross the route. They make the tackle. They force a punt. So again, I wonder if New England goes light, says, if you want to run the ball, fine. We'll give you six yards at a pop we're not letting you get it letting you beat us deep so i mean there's not- a, there's there's a pro- there's a problem with that though because the eagles lead the league in uh yards uh rushes of 10 plus yards so go ahead and uh make that box nice and light let ajayi get a nice little runway maybe a little of garrett blunt they're both going to be fresh and let's see if your defensive backs can tackle them you know what i mean let's see let's see what kind of stones they have on them i would love to see that <laughs> Obviously, here in the UK, we will be, um, when it comes to JJ, we will be listening and playing drinking oh, games God. every time that um, it goes back to the studio and they mention that he was born in London, Britain, whatever. Um, we have to drink. Um, so we might see the second quarter. Um, <laughs> we probably won't, let's be honest. Um, I mean, we, we've been looking at some sort of individual units um, there, but while there's no I in team, there is a unit. So this can lead me in a really, really clumsy link um, to the potential sort of individual difference makers and on each team. We've got some big, some small. Um, and in honour of a piece I put up on the Inside Zone on Wednesday, and the perk of being a host means I get to talk up my own posts and no one can tell me I can't, um, I was trying to guess sort of six sort of unheralded players who could have a kind of a, a sort of a Malcolm Smith, Chris Matthews, Coney Ealy style breakout Super Bowl. So I was just asking sort of, um, tell us about someone who you think could make a huge difference, but might not be an obvious choice for our listeners. Um, Michael, do you want to go first? And please let this be my first Corey Clement sighting. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think Ajayi has been effective enough in the past game for them. You're going to see a Corey Clement uh, running back wheel at some point out of the backfield. But I think Ajayi is the, is the centerpiece uh, of this offense for the game. I'm going I'm to go with somebody a little bit different. I think in, in the red zone, obviously, uh, Nelson Aguilar does is tied with Zach Ertz for red zone targets with Zach Ertz, which, which is something if we're looking for a under the radar type guy, I really like what Trey Burton can do matching up with either Patrick Chung or one of the linebackers in the red zone. You get that plus matchup. 
he can really play, man. And he's going to price himself out of the market in Philly next year. He's going to get signed to a pretty nice contract. I, I really like Burton against the linebackers and, and the safeties there. Anybody but McCourty, I, I think he can ball on him. So that would be my dark horse if you're going for uh, for an MVP. Trey Burton, sort of number three tight end in Philly, has um, just 248 receiving yards on season. That would be a pretty interesting um, interesting story and certainly fit in with um, some of the examples I gave. Mark, who's your, who are you looking at for sort of an under-radar star performance? I mean, there's a couple of different directions you could go with this one. I think if you try to keep it more in the MVP discussion, I think Danny Amendola is somebody to keep in that mix because yeah. you know they, they really kind of kept him on a pitch count uh, over the course of the past two seasons, really, I actually interviewed Noah Princiati today, beat reporter for the Boston Globe, who's out in Minneapolis, and she did a great piece in the Globe just this week on Danny Amendola. She got to talk to Mike Leach, which instantly made me want to talk to her because Mike Leach is one of the most interesting men alive, not just in football, but just period. He's just <laughs> yeah. an interesting dude. And, you know, he was uh, Danny Amendola's college coach, talked a lot about Amendola, and they really sort of kept him on a pitch cut over the last two seasons. And it's paid off during the last two games where he's gone off both against the Titans and obviously in the AFC championship game against Jacksonville. But if we're going to keep it more, you know, truly under the radar, a guy that won't win MVP, no matter what happens in this game, but could have a huge sort of impact on the outcome. And that's right guard Shaq Mason. I know I talked about left guard Joe Thune a bit, but mm. if the Patriots are going to have any sort of success running the football, it's going to be either on the inside with either quick inside zone plays or quick inside traps, which have had some success against Philadelphia. And even if they try to run to the edge, you know, it's getting the, the the guards up to the second level. It's so important against Philadelphia when you want to try to run the football. And he's the right guard. And I will say this. There's a great guy to follow on Twitter, Adam Spinks. He is at the RB Scout. And I reached out to him because I know he does some stuff in terms of charting what defenses give up in terms of where they give up run plays by gap. While the Eagles have had a great run defense this year, the one area they've been weak are on runs to the right edge by the offense. They have given up an average of 4.8 yards per attempt on runs to the right edge. Shaq Mason could play a big role in the Patriots run the football to that side of their offense. I, 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 full, full disclosure, I would love a right guard to win MVP. I think it would be fantastic. It would be fantastic, um, yeah. It, it, it would be great. Tom, um, who's your under-the-radar um, superstar? Well, I, I had Trey Burton or, or Brent Selleck, but I'm going to go something a bit different now. I'm going to go for Malcolm Jenkins, potentially. You know, he's, he's a very well-known player, but if he if he does line up against Gronk, I'm not too sure whether they use him or Kendricks, but if he does line up against Gronk, if he's able to shut him down, if he's able to keep the running backs who are going to get dump-off balls into the flats in front of him, you know, wrap up, tackle well, stop the Pats moving the chains. And I think they could also try and maybe bring him on some exotic blitzes, you know, try and bring him from the blind side. I know it's very difficult to, to fool Brady who's seen it all, but Malcolm Jenkins this year, he's been great in coverage, great against the run. He's, he's he's an all round great safety who can play both in the in the back end as as a, as a centre fielder and also in and around the box. I think Malcolm Jenkins, Jim Schwartz could quite get could try and get really exotic with him in the Super Bowl and try and you know empty the empty the tank or empty the playbook as it were to try and try and beat the Pats. If there's ever a chance to empty the playbook, it's yeah. playing the Patriots in the Super Bowl. Yeah. Um, but you've sort of you've sort of touched on something there that um, and the uh, chap who hadn't come up so far, uh, Mr. Gronkowski. Um, can anyone stop him? Can anyone on that Philadelphia no. team stop Rob Gronkowski? No, period, full stop. Next question. 
Yeah, I hope you're not asking me because I don't, I don't, I don't have an answer for that. <laughs> no, I mean, you know, and sort of dive into this a little bit more. I mean, you know, I, I went back and watched the bulk of Philadelphia's past defensive snaps this year over the past couple of days, and you know what they've tried to do with tight ends that you might put in sort of the same tier as Rob Gronkowski, a Travis Kelsey, a Jimmy Graham, is is Malcolm Jenkins. You know, back yeah. in week two, they put Kelsey in Y ISO early in the game. They put Jenkins out there on an island with him, and they threw a vertical route to him, and Jenkins got beat with a stutter step off the line. Back in that game against Seattle, I believe that was week 13, a Sunday night game, they got Graham in a slot in the red zone. Again, it was Jenkins. He got beat on a back shoulder throw. If they want to try one-on-one with Malcolm Jenkins against Gronkowski, fine. I'll, I'll sit back there and watch that one, and, and, and you know, I won't have to <laughs> open any beers or anything because it'll be an enjoyable <laughs> evening. But I think what Philadelphia probably tries is what the Jets did in week 17, which was bracket coverage, linebacker with safety help. They held Gronkowski to zero targets in that game. Now, some of that might have been game script. You don't want to get Gronkowski hurt in week 17, but still, it worked. So I guess that's what Schwartz is going to try to do with him. Bracket coverage with somebody underneath and somebody over the top. I can also fully imagine um, Bill Belichick just not targeting Gronkowski in Week 17 to try and <laughs> troll opponents by rigging the game film. Um, Absolutely. I, I had a suggestion for someone under the radar, and you're going to have to hear me out on this because I fancy something massively <laughs> left field because I've gone for Philip Dorsett. Um, Dorsett, Ooh. obviously acquired Ooh. in the trade that sent Jacoby Set to Indianapolis. He's barely top 200 yards total this season. And he's, well, let's be honest, he's not very good. Um, but he's a former he's a former first round pick. He ran four point three three at the combine. He averaged nearly twenty five yards a catch in his senior year at Miami. He's only a couple of years removed from that. It's a kind of pedigree that um, I just fancy to have a big game. And maybe I've just been reading the, the words Chris Matthews and thinking of that four catch hundred odd yard one touchdown game he put for Seattle a couple of years ago. Um, but that's the sort of the exact kind of stat line I can imagine a speed like Dorset putting up. And you. You, I think of Philly as having the weaknesses to get burned deep by New England, and common sense would said that'd be Brandon Cooks doing. But what if it's not? Um, there's no, absolutely no way on that I can imagine that Philadelphia have got a game plan for Philip Dorsett. This is this is a kind of just completely out there idea that you would that I would expect from sort of an, an innovative coach like Belichick to sort of think, okay, I've got someone with this great speed. I know that. They've not got amazing corners in Philly. I know that if, even if you're putting safety help on, you've got, okay, Malcolm Jenkins is good, Rodney McLeod, eh. Um, yeah, I know I'm probably reaching for the Kool-Aid a little bit. So anyone <laughs> else on board with the Philip Dorsett for MVP campaign? Let that's, me say that's this. An interesting one. Go yeah, ahead, go ahead yeah, let me say this. Back before Super Bowl Forty Nine, <laughs> it was the first year I was really sort of covered football and the Patriots full-time. And I made... All these, I had dropped all these takes in the weeks leading up to the Super Bowl against the Legion of Boom that you needed a guy that could take the top off the defense, a burner. And they had this guy in Brian Timms who had caught a couple of touchdowns that year, that year, real speed guy. And I was telling anybody who would listen, look, Brian Timms, he might not even catch a pass, but he's going to play a huge role in this game. He's going to take the top off the defense. They'll probably dial up a couple of deep shots, you know, one or two to him to try to soften up that defense, get Earl Thomas, Cam Chancellor stretched out deep. He was inactive for the Super Bowl. So I've <laughs> gone out on that limb before, and I know what you're saying, but I just, I could see it conceptually. I've been with you there, but been there with you before, but trying to figure out what Belichick and, you know, Josh McDaniels are going to do. It's always ended up a loser for me. I will say this: If that is your gut feeling to put that money on Dorsett for the for the MVP, no, no. Here, 
Oh, I think we just lost Michael there. I think you. I think he's just hung up on you, Nick, because he's so. <laughs> disgust- he's surrendered. He's so disgusted with that take. Surrendered. Yeah. I, I, no, I, I, I declared I, victory. No, I'm declaring victory right now. <laughs> anyway, so let me let me get back to my point. Forget forget what, what rubbish Mark is saying. So, <laughs> Jake Jake Elliott is plus uh, five thousand for the Super Bowl MVP odds. Uh, Philip Dorsett is plus. 20 or 25,000 uh, right along there with Corey Graham. So if you're feeling froggy, if you really feel that, put a few bucks on it and, and it'll be a pretty good return for you. I think there might not be a single bookmaker in the UK who will actually take bets on Philip Dorsett for MVP. <laughs> I'll have a look around there. Yeah. Um, just a sort of a, a quick, a quick sort of um, slightly more humorous take on it or more depressing take on it because here we are in uh, over here in England we do prefer miserable negativity and cynicism. Um, can you think of anything maybe that you're going to be disappointed by that you're going to be talking about on Monday morning that you're sort of saying uh, um, and losing your sporting losing team can I guess be that that was going to be my example. Um, I, I'm I'm going to go to Tom first for this. Tom, what are you, what do you think you're going to be disappointed by Monday morning? I think that if the Eagles are in a position to win it and it comes down to a missed field goal, I'm going to be oh. unbelievably upset. I think if this game comes down to missed field goals or just poor execution by special teams, I know that the Patriots, they, they really harp onto special teams and those hidden yardage where they always where they kind of always win that battle. I think if it comes down to a, a special teams battle or maybe a whiff on a punt or something, I'm just going to be you know beyond belief they've had two weeks to prepare for this and it's going to come down to someone you know, missing a punt or, or surrendering bad field position. That, that, that's something that would really, really hurt me. Yeah, memories of um, uh, Pharaoh Cooper of the Rams swapping his hands for uh, heads of lettuce in um, wildcard week there. Uh, Mark, what do you think you, probably, you might find a bit underwhelming come Sunday night? You're allowed to say the halftime show. Yeah, I mean, if New England loses this game and it's close, that's fine. I mean, I, I'm just, you know, thinking back to last year at halftime and just thinking that, look, this team just got flat out embarrassed and blown out because that's what it looked like was going to happen at halftime last year's Super Bowl. If New England loses this game and, you know, it's a close game and it's a well-played game, then that's fine. But if they just come out and if Tom Brady, like, lays an egg, like, that would be, you know, tough to swallow. As, as Same thing with the commercials, man. You know, we need to... Mm-hmm. Whoever is our next set of presidential candidates in 2020, we need to pass a law that says stop releasing Super Bowl ads before the Super Bowl, okay? Because, like, just stop with that. Just stop with that because you half the people watching the game or watching the game for the ads. We all want to see the ads. It's it's enjoyable. It gives us stuff to talk about other than the game. I want to be – you know, I want to have a little suspense of that, okay? So if we get all these ads dropped in the next, like, 48 hours, I'm going to be angry and drop some angry takes. Dilly Johnson. dilly. It's, it's dilly dilly. Don't you <laughs> Oh, and, but, you got what, me. You got did, me. I hate you. Did I just see that the over under on dilly dilly? I just saw that. I'm trying to find it now. I saw that the over under came out. <laughs> and, it, and that plus the over under Carson Wentz mentions. Oh, God. Which, yeah. by the way, Mr. Kiss shared with me was 3.5. If you are listening to the show and haven't placed the bet on the over on that, fix that right now because that might be the easiest over in Super Bowl history. Yeah, Poss- possibly depending on what the over under for the UK broadcast team mentioning JHI was born in Britain or London or whatever. <laughs> um, the the, the ads is an interesting one. I re- I remember even before I was into the NFL, sort of the awareness that Super Bowl ads, halftime ads, were, were a, as well were thing. Um, 
It's amazing. And I think it was something that crossed cultures, um, crossed cultures, um, crossed into people who weren't really into the NFL. Um, obviously, now that I'm completely knee deep in it, I don't know really know how that much that does. Uh, moving on, Michael, what do you think you might be um, regretting Monday morning? Um, and among the football, not not any decisions you might make Sunday night. That was a bit personal. Right? <laughs> yeah, I want to regret the hangover, but it's going to be a fun time making it. Uh, so, look, the, uh, uh, Tech Mobile, the old uh, Super Nintendo Nintendo football game, ran a simulation of this game. It was 16 to 10 Eagles with a minute and 18 left. Tom Brady drives to the 33-yard line. There's eight seconds left. He throws a bomb to the right corner. There's a wide receiver wide open. And in the simulation, a defender came over and knocked it down. Uh, I, I remember earlier in the year when Brandon Cooks, I think it was against the Jets, had that catch in the, in the corner of the end zone to end that game. Something that would absolutely disappoint me is if the Eagles are in position to win this game. And, and by every right, they should be. Like 99% probability they win. And from the 50-yard line, Tom Brady unleashes like a, uh, a Hail Mary-type deal and Gronk comes down with it, unlike in Tech Mobile in that simulation, then that would be my biggest thing, to where we win the game for 59 minutes and 59 seconds, and something incredibly fluky happens, and uh, and the Eagles remain with zero rings. That would that would be my biggest thing. Yeah, and that's just sp- that, that thought there just spurred me into a... I can't stand if there's conservative play calling. So we had it last year with the Falcons. We had it with the Jags where they went to cover four. I mean, I'm going to be some... Mm. Mike Singletary can't do it type shouting if if we get some conservative play calling down the stretch. I want both teams to be going for the jugular, you know, trying to win the game rather than prevent themselves from losing it. Peterson's going to let him hang. Don't worry about that. <laughs> <laughs> so the the one the one that I had um, is you know key play run, um, player running for a touchdown looks like he's going to get it. Defender comes in, tackle, fumble out of the end zone, oh. touchback. <laughs> just please do not let that happen it is the most frustrating rule just make yeah. the least sense and i mean i, I guess if the, if it happened it would be the spur that would finally you know hopefully be needed to get rid of that stupid rule from the stupid rule book but it would just be the most deflating depressing um sorry mark for use of deflating there <laughs> oh <laughs> I didn't even realise I'd done it. Um, just a depressing sort of um, decisive moment that I can imagine in a Super Bowl. Um, that or Robert Kraft dedicating the win to Donald Trump. Um, now, we're going to come oh, back to Super Bowl yeah, right ooh. at the end for um, an actual prediction. But uh, I mentioned earlier that um, Michael and Mark have both been at the Senior Bowl recently. And for those of you who don't know, it's um, a basically a scouting game, a showcase for the best players to show off in front of scouts and team personnel in um, in Mobile on the Gulf Coast of Alabama. It's for players who've competed four years in college. I think it, in some cases they can be redshirt seniors, I would imagine. So that would be five years. Um, now, if all that sounds a bit so what to um, some of our listeners, um, it might be worth just, just sort of one of you sort of briefly explaining why it's important in the draft process. Yeah, I mean, I, I could kind of stick a stab at that. Basically, what the Senior Bowl is, it's for, you know, basically draft-eligible players who have graduated. So, for example, Josh Allen, the quarterback from the University of Wyoming, he graduated as a junior in December, so he was able to come down and participate. And they're broken down into two teams. Each team is coached by an NFL team that traditionally has an early draft pick. For example, this year you had the Denver Broncos coached one of the teams, the North squad. And then this year, the Houston Texans was, were coaching the South squad. And it's a chance for you to get 
a sense of who these players are, not just in a game, because nobody stays for the game. That's a sort of hidden secret about the Senior Bowl. Most people leave because you want to watch them in practice. You see them in drills. You see them in one-on-one situations. You get a sense of how they can develop just over the course of a week. For example, Tuesday down there at the Senior Bowl, it's the first day of practices. That's sort of your baseline day. You get a sense of where these guys are, how they are coming into the week. And then over the course of those days of practices, how well they adapt to NFL coaching, can they sort of make adjustments quickly to acclimate themselves to life in the NFL? And what's great about the Senior Bowl as an event is it's not only just sort of the unofficial kickoff to draft season, but Phil Savage, the executive director of the Reese's Senior Bowl, has done a great job in sort of letting independent type outlets such as inside the pylon such as breaking football where mike does some work down to get credentials to meet with these players to see these practices to get up and close to it so that we can generate content as well and it's just a great atmosphere it's always fun being down in mobile which is a very 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 fun town and the senior bowl is a great experience it's been my third year i've loved going you know going down each time and look forward to it already for next year and I just wanted to flag up to listeners there that um, Mark did point out Mobile's fun town. It is in Alabama. Alabama, obviously, is one of the sort of the states that's UK um, listeners. They maybe don't have the best impression of, but it's a fun place. So, um, yeah, don't be afraid of it. And maybe don't be so judgmental of Alabama, imaginary listener. Um, obviously, it's a good opportunity for um, players to rise in the draft process. So I just wonder, um, Michael, throwing it to you, if there's one player... Um, that, or a couple of players maybe that you can think of that might have, because of what they did at the Senior Bowl, thrown themselves into potentially being um, in a conversation for a first-round pick. Well, I'm not sure about Michael, but I know that from what from what I saw on Twitter, some, someone who I was quite high on was um, the guard out of Georgia, um, Isaiah Wynn. I saw a lot of guys on Twitter, you know, really bigging up Wynn and and saying that he had a great practice one-on-one in pass rush, looked 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 good, quite mobile. I'm not sure what what did you see out of Wynn, Mark? Did you see much of him at all? Yeah, actually, it was. it's interesting you say that, Thomas, because the two guys that I was going to mention that might have played themselves into first-round contention are two guards. One, Will Hernandez from the University of Texas, El Paso. He had a really good week. And the other is, like you mentioned, Wynn, who's somebody I got a chance to watch you know, for a good deal down in Mobile. He had some great reps in those one-on-one situations, going up against Deshaun Hand, an uh, edge defender from Alabama, SEC player as well. But you know, making that transition from tackle down inside the guard, sometimes some players can't make it because it's a tough transition to make. You know, you're, you're playing from a different angle. You're playing against, you know, usually bigger athletes, stronger athletes. So sometimes there's a difficulty making that transition. But, you know, when acclimated himself to it well, I think because of his positional flexibility, given that he played left tackle in the SEC, you know, so you could probably picture him playing some tackle in the NFL as well. You know, if you got injuries or in-game situations, whatnot. Because of that, I think Isaiah Wynn probably played himself into a potential first-round pick, and Will Hernandez, the other guard from UTEP as well, probably got himself in the mix for a top 50, maybe late first-round type selection. I did one of those mock drafts online where you can you know, play as your team. So I did the Dolphins mock draft, and I, I, I don't know why. I think I was going off Matt Miller's big board, and for some reason, Will Hernandez was available in the, early in the third round then. Isaiah Wynn was still in the sixth round, and I thought, you know, if this happens for Miami, this is just a win-win, but unfortunately that, that might not be the case anymore because, they, like you said, you know, they, they may have played themselves into first-round, board of first-round, you know, early second-round contention. Uh, what was the quarterbacks like there, Mark? Do you want to talk us through the uh, what you saw of Josh Allen and Baker Mayfield? Yeah, you know, everybody was kind of coming into this expecting to see the show between Baker Mayfield and Josh Allen. And, you know, I I think with Allen first, we got to see why he's probably going to go early in the first round. He has an incredible arm. You know, Zebra Technologies was down there at the Senior Bowl. They had chips and all of the footballs and they, you know, got 
Josh Allen at a velocity of 66 miles per hour, which is you know better than anything that's ever been posted at the combine, albeit under different circumstances. He has the power arm that you'd sometimes associate with elite level quarterbacks, but it's everything else about Josh Allen that has me sort of concerned about his transition to the game. Anytime he needed to use touch or feel or timing or anticipation the throws weren't delivered as well they were inaccurate he missed a lot of those type of throws throughout the week and I still have those concerns with Josh Allen as an NFL quarterback but I think it's become with Allen a will versus should type of debate will he go in the first round early in the first round yeah should he that's probably the more interesting argument to have I think the first is a foregone conclusion and for me I don't think he should I think he's somebody that should fall I heard some rumors down there about maybe Baltimore at pick 19 would be interested in a Josh Allen because you know there's there's maybe a little bit of Joe Flacco in Josh Allen it would be a good spot for him to learn but we'll have to wait and see on that with, with Baker Again, I came away very away from that week very impressed with Baker Mayfield. What's interesting about these drills, a lot of them one-on-one drills where you know which route you're throwing because it's just one receiver, you sometimes see quarterbacks get lazy and just watch that route the entire way through their drop, but not Baker. He's looking off safeties. He's pretending to look off underneath defenders. He's moving his eyes all over the field, just like you would expect to see in a game situation. And so I was really impressed by that. One last name. University of Richmond quarterback Kyle Lawletta. He was sort of the intriguing guy coming into the week, coming from the football championship subdivision. What a lot of people wondered, you know, could his arm strength sort of transition to the next level? Could he play fast enough that as fast as you need to to move to the next level? He was a senior bowl MVP through three touchdowns. And even before that performance, I think he was the clear third quarterback down to Mobile during the week of practice. So he's somebody that made himself some money over the course of senior bowl week. Yeah, I think just before Nick quickly wraps us up here, Michael, it sounds like you had quite a hazy week based on your Twitter feed. Um, anyone, <laughs> anyone stand out for you at all? At all down in Mobile? Yeah, I was Deshaun Hamilton, the receiver from State. He had about three days. He had some drops early on, and that's going to be an issue with him inconsistency with his hands. But he had three days where he was absolutely uncoverable, uh, showed fluidity, uh, inability to bring out of his route, showed nuance at the release point when he was getting pressed. Uh, just really impressed by him overall. And, and a good size, too, six, six foot, 209. Uh, he really impressed me. Great. Well, um, let's, shall we wrap up then the whole pod and come back to some Super Bowl, because that's what you're mostly listening for. Um, and it's prediction time. And I want from you the winner, the score, and the MVP. Quick, one, two, three, boom, boom, boom. Michael, um, obviously we know you from Locked On Eagles. Philly are, as I like to remind us, the underdogs. Can you pick them? We'll, we'll see if... Win, Eagles win, Eagles oh. win. So Michael had the Eagles winning 28-24. For me, it's going to be... I think it's... Going to, I'm sorry, sorry to say this, Mark, but it could be a Philadelphia Eagles win 14-16 with nine Jake Elliott field goals. I have Jake Elliott as MVP. I'm just going to say this now. We've gone 44 minutes into this podcast, and there's not been one mention of a run-pass option. No RPO mention. How have we managed that? It was it was hinted at earlier. Um, uh, it was. And I did, I did nearly segue into it that I thought everyone's talking run-pass option at the moment. Uh, Mark, have you got a score and a winner at all? Sure, I do. I'll go 28-24 New England. Tom Brady wins another MVP, and Michael Kist... Still has a great time watching the Super Bowl, regardless of what happens. 
I am also predicting a New England win because I'm a coward and I like to insulate against disappointment. Um, I suspect that the um, Pats will pull away during the second half and win 30 points to 20 um, with an MVP to Tom Brady because he's a quarterback, basically. And that's it for this week and this season. I hope you all enjoy the big game on Sunday night and hope you get the result you're hoping for, unless it's a Patriots win. We'll be back from time to time over the coming months, and possibly not every week, but over the next couple of months, if you're suffering football withdrawal, we're going to be summing up the season. We're going to be looking forward to free agency, and then there's a draft. But in the meantime, check out the site, theinsidezone.com. We've got articles, Super Bowl stuff going up all week. And then we're going to be going right out into the great beyond of the off-season. So follow us on Twitter, at The Inside Zone, on Facebook, at facebook.com slash UK, And we're all on Twitter, too. So you've got Tom is at TomLigeNFL. Michael is at MichaelKissedAnyFowl. Mark is at Mark Schofield. And I'm at LongSnapsRanked. Hope you enjoyed the show. Enjoy Sunday night. Get drunk. Eat unhealthy food. And watch some great football. Thanks for listening. Be sure to check out the website at www.theinsidezone.com. Till next time.